Hello, folks. Welcome to Rolling for Change, episode number 11. In this episode, Brian and I discuss gaming as self-care. We also take some time to discuss Ciro as a therapeutic intervention. So uh, sit back and relax. It'll be kind of easy to relax because, for whatever reason, I left the windows open in our recording room while we recorded. As a result, we have some nighttime kind of cricket sounds going on. And it sounded so relaxing, I decided we'd just keep it in the mix. So hopefully you enjoy that and uh, and let us know. And uh, here's rolling for text. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Brian Peace. Hello. Hello, Mr. Brian. And we are missing Josue today. Unfortunately, Josue is dealing with power loss and and all the other things that go with uh, hanging out in in Hurricane Maria. That'll teach you, Josue. We miss you, though, and uh, we really wish you were here, and we look forward to having Mr. Josue back. So, in the meantime, we're going to regale you with talks about games and talks about games and talks about games i don't know and they're 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 therapeutic and educational uses well yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) i I figure they know they're coming in like okay it's rolling for change it's all about uh you know the transformative value of gaming anyway uh so i don't know about you we've kind of talked about this but i have not played a lot of games lately but since the last rolling for change i've played a lot of games because it's been a long time since the last rolling for change true I've been on kind of a dry spell myself. Um, this is what fall looks like, I guess. Until we get yeah. to... I mean, we really need to get back into it is really what it comes down to. It only feels like a dry spell because we let, we've we left the summer, which is convention season. Right. Where it's, there's just a glut of gaming goodness. And then we come into this part where there's, it, we there's fall a into lull. a lull. Yeah. yeah, just a little bit of a lull. Well, what have you been... If, if In your dry spell... What have you been sort of playing? Well, I've played several games, but there were three specific ones I thought were noteworthy enough to mention. Okay. Uh, the first one you've played before, Star Star Trek Ascendancy. Oh, yes. Um, this is a 4X game. And for right. those of you who do not know what 4X means, I actually looked it up because I can never remember what the 4Xs are. Hang on, hang on. It's, it's um, exploitation, exploration, extermination, and expansion. Yes. Ha ha. Well done. Not necessarily <laughs> in that order, but No, but I mean the four X is a The exploration comes first because you have to explore the map before you yes. can exploit anything. Yes. Um as as people learned whenever we were exploring America. You had to explore it before you could exploit <laughs> it. Um but this particular game you're in the Star Trek universe and in our particular game, no one played the Federation. So okay. there were the Ferengi. That's, so the Ferengi and the Cardassians? The Cardassians, and Klingons? I was the Romulans. Oh, no Klingons. No Klingons either. Okay, all right. So that, w- that was an interesting game. Um, all of us a bit cutthroat. Okay. Because um, none of us were playing the Federation where we had to kind of lay back off the cutthroat stuff a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was an interesting game, and it, it's if you've... If you've ever played a game like, which I know you have, um, Twilight, Imperium, Twilight Imperium, which is just about to come out with a fourth edition. Yes. You can also look at, um, what is the... Eclipse. Is Eclipse one. fits in there, and uh, Zaya, Legends of Drift System, mm-hmm. and um, Forbidden... Merchant of Venus is... Forgotten. One, two. It's a fantasy flight game that I'm trying to think of. It's modular, and it's... Uh, I don't know which one you're talking it's about. It's set in the Warhammer universe, but I can't remember okay. what it's called now. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. I just can't remember the name of so the game. So there are listeners out there like, it's this, it's this, it's this. I know, yeah. but I can't hear you. Right. Yet, you can always email us. Yeah, exactly. Please email us. Tell me what game I'm thinking of. Well, anyway, I after playing this game, I liked it. I thought it was really neat. However, I will always go back to Twilight Imperium. Okay. The system is just from from my money. It's, the system is a little bit cleaner. So, from a standpoint of experiential, what was the experience like of playing the game? Um, vast frustration. <laughs> being the, being one of the main new people to the game, right? 
I there was really not much chance of me winning, although I was within about two or three turns of ending the game and winning it. Okay. But then things fast forwarded very quickly. My other two, the other two players were um, basically sniping at each other and they were ignoring me completely. Which doesn't hurt. Which doesn't hurt. Um, as the Romulans, it's easy for me to be ignored. And they neither one of them paid any attention to the fact that I developed the advanced cloaking technology. Mm-hmm. I was about to swoop in on David Skoog's uh, home planet and take yeah. it. Yeah. While he had all of his forces near the other player's home planet trying to take it. He, it just never occurred to him that I'd be able to get get through his... Yeah, the, the thing about the Romulans is you have the possibility of being kind of under the radar. Because right. the Romulans are sneaky and tricky. And, you know, it's, right. it's very different than the Klingons who are out there and open, you know, like, we're going to come with our gun ports open kind of thing. He looked over at me at the end of the game, and after, after he'd already wrapped it up by defeating the other player, he said, what do you mean you were about to defeat me? I said, well, you see all these guys right here? Well, yeah. I said, I had the advanced... Um, Cloaking technology. Cloaking technology. I was yeah. about to just go right past your planet and go to your home system. Oh. <laughs> and he didn't have any idea. Oh, that would have been bad. I mean, yeah. it, would, it might not necessarily into the but game. But I think that game is one where it's like, when the win happens, it's there's usually some closeness to it. Like, the other guys are usually pretty close to doing something. It's just right. a matter of, you get to that point where you've built up your technology to the right level, you can swoop in. At, anybody can swoop in at any point, and so then it's just a matter of trying to beat others to swoop in. So my experience of this game, I had a really good experience of this game. I'm a big Trekkie. Um, for those who don't know me, I really love Star Trek, and I'm having a great time with both the new Star Trek and Orville. But, you know, I'm not going to talk a lot about that except to say, yay! Um, but the thing is that I played I, I played the Federation, because that's I'm, I'm much more of a exploration peace-loving kind of guy i was kind of like sticking to my own kind of uh gambit and um i really enjoyed that and i did some really neat things but when it came down to it i wasn't military enough to save myself from a sudden klingon invasion of earth and earth was lost oh (laughs) so what did you do you lost the earth to the klingons i lost the earth to the klingons that was that was disheartening and in in my little mind, who you know, I was concocting all of this. Like, see, you see how exploration and being nice to other people works out. In my mind, this is going on, and in, externally, it's like, uh, this is what happens when you're all peaceful and loving. Boom, boom, boom. We took your stuff, and you can't have it back. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, so we've had um, we've had cons since we last talked. So the things that I remember are mostly. From Dice Tower Con, which I, I got to tell you guys is fantastic. If you get a chance to go to Dice Tower Con next year, I'm pretty sure the tickets go on sale in November, and we would love to see you there. Um, but the thing that's on my mind most right now, and has been on my mind, and you're going to appreciate this, we played Numenera, uh, and you'll have to probably explain Numenera to people, but Numenera is a role playing game that's set in a very strange universe that could connect to any universe, basically. Um, Numenera is set several billion years in the Earth's future. Right. There have been eight worlds before this one, basically meaning eight civilizations have risen and fallen. Okay. Um, our civilization, for instance, would be the first world. And when our civilization crashes, either because we you know use up all of our resources or we leave the planet for whatever reason... Eventually, our civilization, as we know it, falls, and another civilization rises in its place. Okay. Um, At some point, humans completely leave the planet, leaving it to aliens. That civilization falls. Then humans come back to Earth, and now it's kind of a mixture. Mostly human, but there are some aliens that are leftovers from previous civilizations. And we're at the rise of the Ninth World. So they keep finding all this amazing technology from previous worlds that are still working, but they don't necessarily know the original use for it. For instance, you might pick up a power, you know, a power cell for some, you know, starship, but it's one single power cell. And right. so you figure out that if you do this and this and this with it, it'll let out an electrical jolt one mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. that will knock out an opponent. 
Okay. And it was originally used to power one single power cell to power a starship. But you don't know that. All you know is this is what you can do with this. Right. Because it, you don't have the context for the item. The item's right. just kind of fallen out of time and space into your hands. Right. It could be something that um, allows you to levitate things in, in a previous world. It was part of a load lifter. Okay. And, but it allows you one time and one time only to levitate something and drop it from a great height. Okay. And we call these ciphers. They call them, they call them ciphers. They're also artifacts, which are multiple use objects, uh, which none of my, none of my players have found yet. Because we haven't encountered anything like that yet. I, I haven't felt gracious enough to give them an artifact yet. And see, there's that. That's the thing. So this game is totally under control of the GM, which is Brian, um, and he's doing a fantastic job of creating this story and creating enough conflict for us and enough barriers for us to make it an enjoyable adventure. Um, but I think. If I'm not, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you have ultimate control over things, right? Like you said, we have, you have kind of a narrative that you're forcing us into, but at the same time, you can take that narrative in whatever direction you want to within that world. Right. And I kind of create it cooperatively where you guys have, have gone off in a direction that was not in my original playbook. Okay. And I've riffed on that and gone along with it. Okay. Um, ultimately, the story is guided by me. Right. But you guys have input as to how the story goes forward, no matter how unconscious it is. Whenever you guys come up with a story point that I might think, oh, I'm going to run with that. Right. And create a character that's going to riff off that. Or you guys go in a direction in a city where I had no intention of taking you. And next thing you know, I'm having to create a whole new set of set of non-player characters to interact with you because right. you guys decided to go into this building that I just mentioned in passing. And you guys said, well, we're just going to go here. Oh, oh, crap. OK. <laughs> yeah. And then I have to you know, improvise on the spot, which I do quite I do quite a bit, but I've kind of stuck to the story so far in this one. OK. Um, OK. Because we really haven't had it. The characters are just kind of starting to get to know each other. Mm hmm. And some of the players are getting to know each other, so I've kind of kept things as, as not on the rails necessarily, but I've kept the story as straightforward as possible so far. So what I've enjoyed about this game, aside from the fact that you you yourself have to sort of turn on a dime and, and move things around, has been, okay, it's twofold, because I'm thinking about it now. The first part is I really like that idea that we are all co-creating this, this story and that when somebody comes up with a great idea, you say, okay, let's find a way to put that idea into the story and make it work. So it's it's a collaborative within this kind of structured realm that we have to kind of live within. And we have to learn how to role play within that structured realm. Um, but then that comes to the role play part, which I'm still working on my role play skills. But Mr. Brian Peace has got it down pat when it comes to doing strange alien creatures. Because he did some strange alien creature that is still crawling in my mind even <laughs> now. That wasn't necessarily mine, but I did I did create their dialogue, so that's one thing. Yeah. Yeah, he was a freaky character, and it, it caused chills up my spine. And I think it probably did for all the players, but... Uh, I uh, just highly recommend this game for those who are into role-playing games because of the ability to find a way to play with the idea of role-play and also because of the ability to co-create the story that, that's going on. Um, yeah. I, I think it's just fantastic. And it's probably the most recent game I've played that's really like touched my mind in a way that's like, oh, i got to tell people about that. That's worth playing. Yeah, if you ever decide to look the game up, the creature he's talking about is this completely white pale creature with very long fingers that end in points not fingernails but just end in points and its entire head is covered in mouths no eyes just mouths yeah it's a it's really bizarre creature. and they tried to reason with it and then come to then came to realize eventually that its thinking was so alien to theirs that there was no real reasoning with it because it didn't understand what they were trying to say in the first place and didn't really care and the more they tried, they tried to reason with it. They tried to threaten it, and you're nothing giving details worked. right now that I didn't know because I thought he we did reason with it to to an extent. You you did to a certain extent, but it had unintended consequences. Okay, if you recall. Well, no, I, I know about the un and yeah. We can't really <laughs> we can't really tell you the whole story because it, maybe it's spoilers and maybe it's also it just would be spoilers, like yeah. it's just for us. But I want to encourage people. You know, in that I'm kind of looking at role-playing games a lot more now since we talked to Peter Petrusha and since this game came in and since I've been playing 
Iron Gods. I'm looking at it more strongly now, and uh, I'm just I'm fascinated by this whole world of role playing, and I, I want to talk more about it in the future. Um, so the the next thing I I want to talk about is, and it goes along with an article that we've got that we want to share with you, but actually I'll, let's just go ahead and talk about the article first because this is an article from Psychology Today about Suro. You guys know this game. This is by Calliope. This is a game about, uh, basically about your your dragons, basically, right? And you're on the board, and you use a you have a, a card, a hand of three cards, and those three cards allow you to choose the path that you're going to take your dragon, and you're trying to stay on the board as long as you can. The other dragons are trying to stay on the board as long as they can, but inevitably paths are going to cross or paths are going to be limited, and so you have to make a lot of choices along the way that are going to keep you alive, hopefully, as opposed to killing you. Yeah. So. The, the tiles that you place have multiple paths around them. Each path can connect to another path. There's no such thing as an end path. The only end path is going off the board, a path that leads you completely off the board, in which case you're eliminated from the game, mm-hmm. or a path that takes you in direct conflict with another player's piece, which takes both of you out of the game. Yes. So you can yeah, accidentally commit Harry Carry by thump, running into somebody and going, yeah. oh, well, nobody wins the game because everybody just ran into each other. Yep. Um, it's hard to envision it. And I've used this in schools, in the school that I taught at last year, um, during a, a game event, we had um, a celebration yeah. you know, once every so many months for students who were doing particularly well with behavioral goals and, that's, and academic goals, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And this is one of the games that I brought with me. And it had the intended effect. Because okay. some of the kids who came to sit down with me were on the autism spectrum. Okay. Um, and specifically, this article, which is in uh, Psychology Today, yeah, uh, called Emotional Resiliency in ASD Teens. Um, this particular um, author... ASD is Auth- Autism Spectrum Disorder. Yeah. Um, talked about specifically the game Suro and how it was used for a variety of purposes. One of those being emotional resiliency, because, you know, if you get eliminated from the board, especially if you're eliminated by another player on purpose who runs your character off the board, it it can have, you know, an eruption of emotions happen. Right. And that's something that they have to deal with in that moment. How do you effectively deal with being eliminated from a game? The beauty of the game is no one's eliminated for very long because the game's very short in general. So is the article more about uh, the building of a social skill or is the article more about making choices? It, it covers both spectrums. It talks about um, decision-making and consequences mm-hmm. because your decision to put this particular tile down could lead to you know, certain, certain, doom. certain doom later on if you don't think about the other two tiles that you currently still have in your possession. Right. If you lay down a tile that the next tile that you have is going to take you off the board... Well, you might right. want to think about, you know, little use a little forward thinking. Um, it specifically speaks in the article about playing it with a student, playing it with a, um, for in, in his particular case, a, uh, a patient mm-hmm. um, for the first time. It was his first time playing it, too. And the kid any... schooled him. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And this this kid who was on the autism spectrum berated him for making a move that he didn't think about in advance, uh-huh. which he uses a teaching moment. Well, you do the same thing personality wise. You say things and do things without thinking them out ahead of time. Is that, can you correlate that? And he correlates that to this kid's behavior and the kid has an aha moment. Nice. Okay. Of, so oh, insight is developed. Right. So person for interpersonal reasons, this kid makes decisions that he, that he doesn't think about the future consequences of. Right. And in this game, the psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm not sure, a psychologist in this case, um, made a move that he hadn't effectively planned out well enough. Right. And then it also leads to, well, you're berating me for this. Right. Is that maybe something that you might want to rethink? <laughs> how, how you're framing this, how you're presenting it? There are a variety of ways that this game could be used, and it's such a simple game. I mean, you can play three different games of it in half an hour oh yeah it's, it's a quick easy game yeah. I, i've used it many times in therapy to talk about um choices because right. you know one of the primary skills that i have to teach uh teenagers and children that i work with is 
our choices have consequences, and I want you to stop and think before you make a decision. And so I'm afraid I might have talked about this on the show before, and so if I have, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I I will get to something that's not a repeat. But in this case, um, you know, I will tell the child that I want them to work on being able to not place the tile down until they're absolutely sure they're going to get where they want to go to. So I'm requiring them to use some cognitive skills to determine where they're going to go. Now, sometimes this doesn't work because some children that I work with are not as not as able to manipulate mental images as I would like them to be able to do. But I do get them to stop and think. So for those guys, I'll let them put it down and I'll say, is that really where you want to go? And it doesn't matter whether I see they're going a good way or a bad way. I just say, is that really where you want to go? Because I want to install or instill, I guess is the right word, a sense of making choices based on knowing what the outcomes could be. And beautifully, the thing about Suro is the outcomes, there's only, I mean, you probably have what? Between four and eight outcomes in your hand. Mm-hmm. So you can look at outcomes pretty pretty in, in a kind of small box and say, okay, there's this set of consequences that can happen for each of these moves that you make. Let's talk about stopping thinking and making a good decision to keep you on the board and keep you in the game. Yeah. I was using the game in a different way. I was using it as, a, as an educational tool. So I did allow them to put – to put the piece down because uh-huh. a lot of the kids I was teaching they're in seventh grade. They had trouble with, like you were saying before, spatial reasoning. Yeah. Spatial reasoning. And so, on. so I had them place it, but I said, once you take your fingers off it, once you've placed it and taken your hand Chess off rules. it, it's done. Yeah. So put it down, take a look at it, turn it whichever way you want to yeah. and take it back if you're not sure. And they would find the piece that they liked and they put it down and they go, boom. And I'd say, well, did you look at the other two pieces to see what you can do next? Right. Oh, if yeah. I place that piece there, the next piece I play has to take me off the board. Uh-huh. Unless you're lucky and draw another tile. Right. Now, would you rather be lucky or would you rather be smart? Mm-hmm. And they would take it back and look at it again and say, oh, well, if I place this one, then if I get to place this one. And sometimes even that didn't work. And I'd say, well, you know, sometimes your best laid plans can be screwed up by your friends. Right. That's where I talk about to kids. I start telling them about the difference in strategy and luck. Right. Strategy being a well-thought-out plan. And luck being, I'm going to roll the dice and just take what comes. And a lot of kids will go with, I'll just take what comes. Because, unfortunately, the one thing that Suro doesn't do well is, you can live a long time on, I'll just take what comes. Yes. There is a moment where your decision does have an end, but a lot of times it plays itself. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a false dichotomy to say that it really works well for this, but since kids don't know that, it works really well for this. Yeah. Well, on top of that, it does work, like I said, in the other direction, too, where when the unexpected happens and it screws you over and you get frustrated with it, how do you deal with those frustrations? Exactly. So that's when you start talking about emotional regulation in relation to playing the game. Mm-hmm. There's another game that's very similar to Psychoro, uh, but it's really hard to get hold of. Psychoro, I mean, <laughs> called Psychoro. Oh, Psychoro. Okay. Psychoro. Um, it's a dice game, strictly two player. Mm hmm. You have a bunch of six-sided dice in a box. It's really hard to get hold of, so you know I, I had to order mine from England. Okay, um, cost me about twenty-five dollars plus shipping, which was about twenty-five dollars as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because of England. Yeah, but it was worth it. Um, you basically take the box, shake it upside down, lay it down, take it off, and you have all these dice. And any die that you move, you're going to move it the number of spots that are on that die. Okay. Or is it move it to uh, anyway? You're going, to move, you're going to move that die around, and wherever you land, the die that you land on is going to take your game piece. I mean, okay. the, the game, I'm sorry, the die that you're moving to is the number of spaces you can move. You okay. have your own game piece on the board. There's a black and a white piece. Okay. Whichever die you land on, you take it out of the board and drop your piece in, which is, which every time you move is going to leave a blank space, yes. which can never be crossed over again. So eventually you're going to be able to corner the other player okay each player can move no more than six orthogonal moves from another player so you're constantly dancing around each other okay which means that one player is actively trying to block another player in it's kind of like a reverse chess where instead of trying to capture one piece you're trying to corner one piece okay all right it's an interesting little chase little cat and mouse chase mechanic i like it Okay, and that's Sykoro. Sykoro, S-A-I-K, 
O-R-O, Psychoro. Okay. Um, and Suro, by the way, in case anyone wants to look it up and has not seen our website, it's T-S-U-R-O. The T is silent. So this brings me to what I want to talk about now, which is Suro of the Seas. So Suro of the Seas um, is, well, first I'll talk about it. The, the way I'm using it basically is one of the methodologies that I use in my therapy practice is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. And you guys will remember that we talked a lot about trauma when we talked to Autumn Hahn back a few episodes ago. Well, TFCBT is a different model, and it may not match what she's doing. It, you know, what she's doing, uh, rapid resolution therapy uses um, hypnosis, and uh, it's a very brief-centered therapy. And I'm not certified to do that, so I'm doing TFCBT, which is what I'm trying to certify to do. And that's about a 12 to 16 session course of therapy. But the first part of that therapy is to teach the child about what trauma is and how trauma impacts um, impacts the person who is experiencing trauma. And so Suro of the Seas, the difference in it in Suro is that in Suro of the Seas you have dragons or daikaiju who are hanging out in the waters. And on each person's turn, there is the possibility that these daikaiju can move towards you. And if these daikaiju hit your ship, then you die. That's the end of your game, basically. Uh, so I've decided to use these daikaiju as elements of trauma. So when they get close to you, like when you get close to having a really bad experience, what's that like for you? And we can talk about that in regards to the cognitive triangle. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What are your behaviors? And then, of course, when it does hit you, that's when the real... You know, if we're using metaphors to explain these experiences to children or to adults, whoever we're talking to, then we can say, okay, what's it like now that you've been hit? And we can use that little microcosm of the game of Suro to talk about the dynamics. We're not even talking about specifically their experiences of trauma because that would be exposure, and we're not ready for exposure yet. Instead, we're using it as a microcosm discussion point for what happened. What is this? What is this like for the ship captain? What is this ship captain experiencing? This ship captain just ended his game. What's that like for the ship captain? So using a, a separate personality or separate person, basically, to allow the people to see a different point of view. And this has worked really well in my sessions because people love Suro of the Sea, basically. It's, it's a cute little game. It doesn't have as much strategy, perhaps, as Suro because... You make choices, but you still got some random stuff that can happen. Like, for instance, a dragon can just suddenly pop up somewhere on the board, and you'd be like, but that's right next to me. Yep, can't do anything about it. You're the one who chose to swim in infested waters here. So um, uh, <laughs> that's part of the game. So, But just the kids that I've used it with have responded really well, and using that metaphorical system has been helpful for helping them learn about how trauma can impact a person without talking about their specific trauma. So I was really excited about this and wanted to share it with you guys because these things can be done with any game. What we talked about with Suro and what we talked about with Suro of the Seas, they can be done with any game that you can sort of put your mind to recognizing the metaphor that's being presented in the game and apply it to whatever teaching, whatever therapy you're trying to do. So Suro of the Seas and Suro, both really incredible games and uh, great games to play with clients, especially if you're working with younger clients. Kids love dragons. Yeah, they definitely do. Water dragons, fire dragons, they don't care. Yeah. Dragons are dragons. Cool. So that's our talk about games uh, in relation to the article. That's, that's our talk about games in relation to what we've been doing. Now we're going to kind of come into talking about the theme that I wanted to discuss today. So, um, and it's especially pertinent to me right now because I feel like fall, there's kind of a bipolarness for me in fall. And uh, I don't know if this is true for many people. Fall has memories. So memories of school starting, memories of getting motivated and saying, I'm going to do better this time. This is going to work this time. I'm going to work really hard this time. And also memories of that failing or just experiencing these lull moments, moments? these lull moments in which <laughs> things stop accelerating the way we want it to right and so that those moments are kind of the depressive moments and it's it's those moments that i probably need to be pulling out more games and playing more games but it hasn't worked out this fall for whatever reason but it's it's just become fall so i'm not really encapsulating fall very well it's 
August and September. But the, these are the months that I'm talking about here. Um, but Atlanta Game Fest is coming. Yes, it is. Yes, yes. it is. I'm very excited about coming to Atlanta, <laughs> going to Atlanta Game Fest. But so what I want to talk about here is how we use games as a self care element. Now, in terms of what we do with kids, we kind of talk about using games as a coping skill. This is kind of on the opposite end of that in that we're using it as a preventative skill for dealing with the things that could come as well as a coping skill. Um, so I, I guess there's several areas we can talk about here, Brian, and maybe the first one is, let's just start here. What's your go-to game for a, um, a self-care game? Ooh, um, I really like a choir. Okay. For that. How is that a self-care game for you? Well, it's if anyone who's listened to this show for a while has heard me denigrate myself by saying I typically lose a lot of games. Acquire is the very first game that I really grokked or understood okay. right from the beginning. And the people around me did not grok it as well. <laughs> and I don't know what it is about this. It's a, it's a stock gathering game. I don't do anything with And it's stocks. a pretty competitive game. Yeah, it's a very competitive game. But for some reason, I'm able to see which companies are about to go down, mm -hmm. which companies are about to be absorbed, which ones are going to be worth something. And I can think a few moves ahead, usually. Whenever a company gets absorbed, there are other people going, no, oh my God. And I go, yep, there it goes. Here my, <laughs> here's my stuff. Give me money. And I usually try to be either in first or second place as far as having the amount of stocks with every single stock that gets absorbed. Right. And it works out pretty well for me. I usually, not every time, but I usually win that game more often than I lose it. So for you then, self-care is playing a game that you're pretty sure you can win. Not that I'm pretty sure that I can win, but that I actually understand. Okay, it's about the understanding. Then. Understanding the strategy behind it. Okay. There are some games like, um, and I, I still love the ones that I don't really understand all that well, but whenever I'm feeling especially down, I like playing a game that I have a better than even chance of winning. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. But there's some games like, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Fresco. Fresco, instance. okay. I love Fresco. Okay. However, I usually get my butt stomped at that game. And there are usually tears at the end. Not not real <laughs> tears, but metaphorical tears. Just like, oh, I just got beat. That's a highly stressful had, game for me. Right. But I had a great time with it. Right. And I'm always going to come back to it. Um, Acquire, I don't play as often mm -hmm. because th there's there's a guilty part of me that thinks, I play this. I, this is one game I play really well, and I don't want to play it just to beat the crap out of people with it. Right. So I don't play it as often as I might like. Um, just because there's a there's that little tinge of guilt in it, whenever I whenever I destroy someone, and my wife says, "Yeah, watch out for him. He's going to kill us all." <laughs> and for my wife to tell everyone around he's going to beat us, when my wife usually wins most of the games that I play against her, I'm just struggling to come a distant second or third behind her. It's just like this prideful moment in me where I go, "Yeah, my wife admitted I beat her butt at the game." <laughs> <laughs> So I'm looking around the room because that's, that's my only reference point right now. And I, I, the thing I'm thinking about for me when it comes to self-care games is that I guess we're kind of talking about more of a Euro game for me yeah. is a self-care game. But it can't be a highly competitive self-care game. It can't be a take-that game. Because what I'm looking at is how do I relax within a game's environment? And I think about this in terms of, okay, first I need to surround myself with people that I feel really comfortable with. Yeah, And that doesn't always happen. I could take a, quote, self-care game and play it with people I don't like, and it would be a non-self-care game. It would be a stress game for me, right? <laughs> um, but then it also has to do with picking a game that is not going to pit us against each other in such a way as to create a really fierce competition. And I like those fierce competition games. Like a 4X game, I like that. But I got to tell you, when I play something like Twilight Imperium, I get quite stressed. And that's a long game to get stressed in. So it's, it, that's not a self-care game for me. So I'm looking around, and self-care games I see for myself, um, and it, it may not be true for everybody, but I think uh, Glenmore fits a self-care game because you're all vying for the same resources, but you're not really... You can always make it up. There's, there's always 
checks and balances, and it's just a nice kind of stroll through. Let's make whiskey and let's uh, let's build bars, and and it's a neat little idea. And and then maybe the other thing that kind of stuck out to me was Augustus, Rise of Augustus is what it was what it's called now, but it, it it's Roman, Roman bingo. bingo. <laughs> you know, so there's there's not a lot to it. There's some decision making going on, but it's it's a very relaxed game. And most of the time, I don't want a really relaxed game because I don't feel like the competition's there, and I don't feel like the strive and the danger is there. But sometimes we need to take care of ourselves in a way that's like we just relax with something. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe party games fit this really well, but you don't you don't tend to like party games that much. No, party games stress me out. And party games are very relaxing for me, generally. Yeah. I mean, okay, maybe it's eustress, so let's make a distinction between distress and eustress. Distress is that kind of negative stress that happens when you don't enjoy what's going on. Eustress is like a roller coaster is a good example of eustress. You chose to get on. You are enjoying the thrills, but your heart is pounding really fast, and there are moments where you feel like, why did I do this? Why did I do this? Why did I do this? That's eustress. So maybe there are some eustress games versus distress games. Yeah. For me, I think the... the uh, the party games are eustress games. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of um, XCOM Enemy, Enemy um, Unknown and Enemy Within, the expansion for mm-hmm. it, um, on my laptop. That's a eustress game. I get my butt handed to me sometimes, and I keep going back for more, and it's... I'm just trying to get through the storyline yeah. and have as many of my people survive as possible, because you can have up to 100 soldiers in this, and within a few rounds of failures, you've, you're down to 75 soldiers. And you get you get to watch these characters who you've actually built up and you've you've spent money on, you've given them cybernetic enhancements, you you spent time on them, and you actually get to know them by their nicknames, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're dead. And either you muscle up and you deal with it and you move forward, or you go back to a save game and try to save Santa. <laughs> Yeah, one of my char- one of my characters was nicknamed Santa in the game okay. by the game itself, and he has white hair and a white beard. I was uh, like, "Oh, come okay. on! Right. I can't let Santa can never die." <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're bringing video games into it, this brings me to a point that I really kind of caught this summer because Susie and I started playing Diablo three really strongly on mm-hmm. on the PlayStation, and I got to the point where I have leveled up my character to the point that he has the best armor. He has the best skills, and he can pretty much just walk through a dungeon just whacking things, whacking things, whacking things, and not face much damage at all. And it got to a point where I felt like it was kind of overkill. Like, I am much more powerful than everything around me. And I started to realize, so I don't want to waltz through a game. I don't want to have no competition. Um, And we'll talk more about conflict in games in a future episode, but I, I just had this realization, okay, I need... Unfortunately, as strange as it sounds, I need to be challenged in order to enjoy this game. It's already a little bit stressful in the fact that, I don't know if you played Diablo, but yeah. this is just hack and slash and grab. Right. It, I mean, the very definition that people say about role-playing games, murder hobos, you are a murder hobo in oh, yeah. Diablo 3. There's not much choices to make. Slice somebody, do a spell on somebody pick up their stuff and put it on. That is pretty much the storyline in that game. Right. Yeah, I have a I have a similar experience except I have it on both ends of the spectrum. There's sometimes whenever I want the challenge like um one of my favorite uh shooter games is Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2. Okay. Where you play one of four survivors in a zombie apocalypse. Right. Sometimes I play it on very very hard and try to make it through a level because I want the accomplishment of getting through the level. Some days I get back home and I just want to shoot some pixels. So I set it on easier and just wipe out everything in my path because I just want that that feeling of going through and just being successful easily at some point. So it's that Bejeweled Zen experience where it's like, I'm going to play Bejeweled Zen, which means I can never fail. Right. Okay. Because that can be meditative and I get it. Um, I, I don't think I can do it very well with Diablo because there's just no no sense of peace in that game whatsoever. Right. I am killing people. There is blood spattering around on the ground. You know, it is a violent game. Um, so maybe that, maybe the, the very, maybe that's another thing that for me in a self-care game, and it's probably that something that's going to be 
individualized for people, right? Yeah. Um, but for me, I, maybe a self-care game is it can't have blood. I don't, <laughs> I don't well, enjoy blood. Yeah, I will go back and say I never set it on easy. I set it on normal, which is easy, an easy level. Mm-hmm. You, if, if you're experienced at a game, you can make it through it on normal level with no problem. If you want, but sometimes I want yeah. the challenge and I'll set it on a harder level. Um, sounds to me like um, your game is set on easy just because you have so much stuff and you it was beat set on normal. So much. You know what I mean? But I mean, yeah, your your character has now made it so that yeah. normal is easy. Yeah, but then you start to you start to question your motivations. Why am I doing this? Oh, I want to level up again. Why? It's right. just like so. Story has to propel you forward a little bit, and that's something I'm kind of learning. Um. But I don't want to get too far from from self care because I, I see that I can easily go off on another tangent, and I, I want to kind of hold myself to this talk about self care. So, what for you would be something that is not self care in a board game? Okay, and why? Well, for me, it it's it stripping out the um, the uh, social aspect to it. Um, there's a it's one of the reasons why I dislike a lot of party games, which sounds really bizarre because party games are usually about the social element. But there's this one particular one. I can't remember. Time's the, up. Time's up. I knew it. Yep. Time's up strips the social element out of a game to me because you and your partner have to be quiet and listen to the other players guessing so you can know what cards are out there mm-hmm. to be guessed. Mm-hmm. And whenever it comes to your turn, that's the only time you can really communicate. And you're not communicating. You're playing the game with your partner. And then quiet and down and be quiet and listen to the other players do their thing so you can remember what they're doing. You can know what all the cards are. And playing through an entire game of that, my partner and I completely smoked the competition. And they said, so how'd you like the game? And both my partner and I both looked at each other and said, eh. <laughs> I mean, it, we come to the table to be social with our friends and there's a game as a framework for it. When the game is a framework takes away the social element. I'm I've, you've completely lost me. So what about games that seem like they are group solitaire? Well, the social element is still there. I'm playing my game. Sagrada is probably a pretty good game to identify as a group solitaire game. Yeah. Everyone has their own, um, stained glass window. They're trying to build. Yeah. And, you roll the dice, and on your turn, you place a die wherever you can and pass it. Nothing that you do except taking a die that somebody else wanted... That's the only impact on anybody ...can impact else. someone else. But the whole point is, I can still chat and talk and goof around with my friends okay. while those dice are being passed around. The only person who I can't interact with is the person whose turn it is, and you can kind of interact with them, but you don't want to distract them too much while they're right. making their decision. Right. But everybody else is talking and joking, and we're having a conversation while this game is going on and I feel like time's up strips that away. So we can't have a conversation because these two people are trying to get their clues out and we need to pay attention to their clues. Cause we're going to have to guess these cards at some point. Right. Right. So it, it strips away all conversation except for if you happen to be the person on task and then you're on task. And on top of that, it's timed, which adds all kinds of negative stress. For me. <laughs> I, I hate timed games. I'm not a fan of timed games, but time's up works really well for me. Yeah. But I, I get it. Basically, you're saying that you, in order for a game to be a self-care game for you, you need to be able to interact with other people. It yes. can't be a, just a very solitary experience that you have with people without having a lot of conversation. Right. I don't like playing chess for that reason. Most people, whenever they get re- get really decent at chess, want to sit and study their moves. They don't that is a talk. quiet game. They yeah. want to be quiet. and. That's not what I'm there for, Yeah, which explains why I lose a lot of games. I'm not really paying attention to the game itself. The game is just a framework for me to be social with people. Okay. Um, I'm paying attention to the game. I'm not making boneheaded moves and just making random moves for the sake of you know, goofing off. I'm actually trying to play the game as well as I can. But my ulterior motive is to have my friends together and converse with them and have some social time. Okay. All right. I think if I'm going to go to me and say what it is that I don't find self-caring about a game, it's going to be it's going to be about the social aspect, but it's going to be about I mean there are games like like I said 4X games are not they are very stressful for me. 
games that I don't understand are very stressful for me. Mombasa was probably one of the most stressful games I've ever played because it just didn't click with me. I didn't grok it, and the people around me seemed to grok it, and there was colorblind issues, which causes problems already. And um, I don't know if any of you listeners are colorblind, but if you're colorblind and you're a game player, you know that there are some games out there that do not love you. Um, and that's very stressful for me. So it has to be color-friendly, obviously, for me. Um, but if a game is so complex I can't understand it, if the players are unwilling or unforgiving in my understanding of those rules, or even frustrated with my sense of um, AP that comes with a game that I can't understand. Or exploit your misunderstanding Or exploit my misunderstanding. All these things can take away from my game experience and make it not a self-care game at all. It can just kind of lose its luster very quickly. And actually, it probably destroys a game based on the people that I'm playing it with more than based on the rules of the game. Although there are some games that um, I have suggested where you're like, I don't like that game. I was like, who did you play it with? And you tell me who you played it with, and I say, well, that would explain it. That, a it does, but game. that first time you play with somebody, a, a particular game, you're gonna if you walk away with a bad taste in your mouth, it's really hard to come back. Yeah. It's really hard to come back. Um, so I, we'd like to hear from you guys what your self-care games are and what you think about using games as a self-care tool. I think... It's probably one of the most important tools I have when it comes down to how I manage stress in my life. And I need to remember this statement that I'm stating right now because I needed this two weeks ago when I was really stressed out. Um, or actually this weekend when I was really stressed out. Either way, um, it just uh, it's so powerful in giving us something to bring a new focus to and, and kind of take away some of the issues that are around. So, that said, shall we play a game? I would love to play a game. Um, <laughs> so, we, we will play that in a little while. But first, we're going to tell the listeners about something really big and upcoming for yes. Rolling for Change. So, we've been at Gen Con before, and that was pretty exciting, but that was just before we really got into doing the podcast. In fact, I think the first time at Gen Con was not even a Rolling for Change discussion, it was a discussion about the psychology of board gaming and games in general. So we had a person talk about role-playing games. We had a person talk about video games. We had a person talk about tabletop games. So it was a good mixture of people, and we had a good room of people. Uh, when we were at the main part of Gen Con, I think we had a room of about 90, which I was pretty excited to have. We also did a presentation at Dragon Con, um, and this might be after Rolling for Change started. Nope, it's before Rolling for Change started also. And that one was a 250-person room, and nobody was able to get in. It was standing room only. I was really proud of our presentation and, and our, our impact on the culture there. It made me really happy. So we're getting this chance once more. Um, the, uh, the new con, PAX Unplugged, is happening in Philadelphia, uh, November 17th through 19th. And we're going to be presenting on the 19th uh, to hopefully a crowded house. And I'm very excited and look forward to whatever ideas we come up with, but the goal here is to bring an experience more than a presentation to you. And we'll be working on that. I see Brian looking really quizzical at me. Uh, we're going to be brainstorming about that, how that's going to work, but uh, I'm really excited and um, hoping that uh, we can get something good going for you guys. Yeah, I can't wait for PAX Unplugged. I've, ne I've never been that far to the north. I've technically been to Indiana. I've, I've been to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Is probably... I've been to Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I mean, that's that's not really "quote unquote" the north for us Southerners. <laughs> Pennsylvania is the freaking north well, for us Southerners. <laughs> it is. It is about four hours further than going to uh, Gen Con. Yes, so it, it's a good twelve-hour drive. Um, but I'm looking forward to being there, and I hope that some of you listeners will be there. And if you are there, please let us know. We'd love to hook up with you, talk to you, play a game. That'd be awesome. So, um, looking forward to it. Now, the next thing I want to do... You guys remember that uh, the last episode we said, okay, this is Rolling for Change 2.0 and we're going to do all these neat things. It doesn't always work that way. No. <laughs> so, we don't have a game that we're going to play this time, unfortunately. Um, but would like to know how you people felt about the game that we played before. Um... So let us know. You can contact us by going to gamers at rollingforchange 
Um, is that right? Yes. Yes. Sorry, I, I my mouth was just going, and I wasn't really like <laughs> there was something propelling my mouth, <laughs> and it wasn't me. <laughs> All right. Um, would you like to read uh, the email that was sent to us? Sure. Let's see. So we're going to start reading your emails on the air because one of the goals here was to create a community of people that were focused and interested in the idea of using games in professional environments and recognizing the transformational, the healing potential of being a board game fan or being a game fan for that matter. You know, it can be video games. It can be role-playing games. So uh, we just recently got – well, I say recently. It was earlier than summer – uh, got a, an email from a, a gentleman, and Brian's going to read it for us here. Okay. So Rob sends us this email that says, About six months ago or so, I started a social skills group at my work to teach the youth I work with some basic social skills. I work at Hillcrest Youth Correctional Facility in Salem, Oregon. Basically, it's prison for youth. I started this group with youth on one of the mental health units at Hillcrest. Most of these are most of these are guys that fall on the spectrum or have major lagging skills that they need to work on. My idea was that I would start a tabletop group to get them engaged in something they are interested in, and then when the game naturally challenges them, we can work on their skills in the moment. We started off small with only a few games, Boss Monster, Star Realms, and Yu-Gi-Oh, but then grew, thanks to donations, up to about 62 games. Since then, I've been able to expand to other youth at our facility. I wasn't quite sure what kind of message that would send or what benefits that would have until I heard your podcast. Yay! (laughs) Thanks. What I have learned so far is that playing games is a great tool to stress and control some behaviors so we can practice appropriate reactions and behaviors in the moment while being in a safe place. Not only is it safe, but it's a place they want to be in. I'm no psychologist or therapist, but I am a skills development coordinator at my facility. I came into this a little blind to start and have been trying to wing it as I go and find the best route and process for this group. Needless to say, it's a learning process, but I feel like I'm seeing success with it. Recently, I had a coworker find your podcast, Rolling for Change. I started listening to it and have fallen in love with it. Hmm. Until I started listening to this, I had a very hard time finding anything substantial that would back up my theory that playing games can build skills or be therapeutic. I wanted something to stand behind that could support my cause. I feel very strongly about this approach. I get to do something I love while bringing something enjoyable to these young men who are not always given opportunity for normalcy while incarcerated. Since I've been listening to your podcast, it has really sparked my drive for this even further, and I've learned a few things along the way. I am not completely caught up yet, but I'm about halfway there. I just finished the episode about Bad Habit, which I feel can be an amazing resource for the kids I work with. I forwarded a link to one of our qualified mental health professionals. We deal with this behavior all the time, and it's always uncomfortable or awkward to approach. Anyway, I could go on forever, but I just wanted to tell you guys to keep up the good work and I love what you're doing. If you have any suggestions for me in my group, I would love to hear it. Thanks again, and I wish you guys the best of luck. Rob Schweitzer, Skills Development Coordinator, Hillcrest YCF. Nice. Well, well Rob, thank you so much for the email. It's very appreciated. Um, it's it's not always easy to know what kind of impact we're having. Um, but... I think it brings to mind one thing I I think is really important to talk about, and this is something I've had to deal with as a therapist, probably other people have to deal with in professional environments, but that nagging feeling that somehow what we're doing is not okay, or it's rebellious, or it's under the radar, or it's, you know, it's something that is not accepted by the mainstream. Or it's childish. Or it's childish, yeah. It's just playing games. And, and we miss the fact that, that play is such an important part of human development and human being as it is. Uh, because you look at animals, animals play. So, But the thing, I, I guess, is to recognize that, and, and this may be contested by some people that are listening, but I believe that underneath the fun, because fun is a great thing, I love having fun, but underneath the fun, all of these things that we do have a singular purpose for us. Singulars might not be the right word. It has 
an underlying positive that is towards our lives. How do I say this better? Basically, when I started looking at the experience that I was having with games and started realizing that this is having an impact on me that is not just about the entertainment value of the game. Now, it's not a serious game, which I've started studying what serious games are. In serious games, one of the main things about a serious game is it's a game with entertainment principles that teaches a serious concept. The games we play are not usually serious games unless we're thinking about something like Freedom the Underground Railroad. Yeah. But uh, they do, in some ways, create some kind of microcosm for us to experience the world in a different set of rules. They're highly rule-oriented, so we have to be in a new set of rules, and the way we comport ourselves to those rules determines how we're going to respond to a number of things. And the things we learn in games, I'm most assuredly believing has an impact on our daily social lives, on our daily problem-solving lives. And I think that when we get caught in that, that narrative, that idea that games are for kids, that idea that fun is not work, that's where we fall off of the radar. That's where we kind of lose our ability to... I don't know. Help me out. Um, I don't know where you were going with that necessarily. <laughs> so what I'm saying basically is we get stuck in this thing where other people, we, we have these voices in our head. This is what other people are thinking, right? I, I think for Rob, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but I know that when I started using games in therapy, I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought I was getting away with murder. I thought that I shouldn't be doing this. And it wasn't until I investigated it further to sort of discover the, the underlying phenomenology of gaming. What is it like to play a game? When I realized that this is building something somewhere, whatever it is, even if it's social interaction, even if it's learning how to make good decisions, even if it's learning how I feel about a train, whatever it might be, it, it's, it's having an impact on me outside of its entertainment value. So while it's not a serious game, we can make we can recognize the serious aspects of our games and recognize that those games are making an impact on our lives. Thus, we can transfer that to our clients, to the people we work with, to the people that we hang out with. We can transfer that understanding. And one of my goals in Rolling for Change, and this is a slow process, so don't expect overnight sensation here, but one of my goals is to identify how can you play a game how can you take a game like, I'm just looking randomly around the room, Shadows shadows Over Camelot. How do you take a game like that and recognize the therapeutic potentials that it holds within it? And then extrapolate that to some bigger entities, to some bigger social skills building situation. Or whatever it might be. I just think there's a deeper thing here. And so this realization, when I, when I built Rolling for Change, this realization was everything that surfaced that we do has a depth. And we don't recognize that depth. It exists subconsciously. But that depth is present because it's already part of our nature to learn, to grow, and to play. If we recognize that, then I think we can look at the things we do in a different context. So that's how geek therapy comes to be born is that we're looking at things in a different context. It's not just the entertainment value. There is depth hidden underneath entertainment. Okay. To get a little bit more granular, I was thinking of I was thinking about the games that you had mentioned you'd used um, and of the three games that you mentioned they were all competitive games. Sure. Now, I've I've worked at a facility very similar to what you're describing. And um, I didn't have the opportunity to form a group like this, but I did have a smaller group of about four kids at one point. Um, and we had no lesson plan for the day. I was subbing for another teacher for that day. And we had no lesson plan at all. It was just wing it and do whatever you want to do. Right. So I sat down with these kids. It was, it was the end of the school year. There was, there was no real plan. So I just sat them down and played forbidden Island. Mm-hmm. I could have pulled out um, Flashpoint Fire Rescue or sure, any, cooperative, any game. cooperative game. But a lot of people ignore the benefit or don't realize the benefit of 
teaching cooperation to especially these kids who are incarcerated, they are very used to being out for themselves. And one of the things I saw whenever we were playing Forbidden Island is they all wanted to race to get the idol. Mm -hmm. They wanted to gather the cards and win. They thought mm -hmm. winning meant I get all the idols. Right. And they lost miserably. And we had a discussion about that. About, you know, why did you guys lose? They said, well, he wouldn't give me the cards. Well, remember the point of the game is to get the idols. Not for you to get the idols, but to for your group to get the idols. You either win as a team or you lose as a team. And we played through the game again. And a couple of them grokked the idea mm -hmm. and started working mm -hmm. together. And a couple of them just wanted, let me get this one idol. I want to get that one. That was the coolest one. I want to get that one. Right. And they just couldn't drop the eye out of the situation and join in with the team. Um, but it was, a, it was a learning process and I didn't, I wasn't there long enough to see that through to its conclusion, but I right. can see going forward that eventually there could be a few breakthroughs there where, yeah, I already had minor breakthroughs with a couple of them where they started really cooperating because they wanted to win the game. And if they won the game as a group, then by God, they were going to win the game as a group. And a couple of the kids just kept shooting that down because they were still stuck in their, right. their selfish mode. Kind of, yeah. um, and I think something like Forbidden Island is a little esoteric for that. Um, Flashpoint Fire Rescue would probably be a little more realistic where they're trying sure. to save a cat or a dog or something and if everyone's putting out fires and saving people, you're never going to win that game. Somebody has to be putting out fire. Someone has to be in the fire truck putting out, putting out a fire. One or two people could be saving people, but you can't all be saving people or else the fire is going to get out of control. Right. Everyone has to take a back seat at one point or another because there's going to be someone on my side of the table that needs saving and maybe no one on your side. But to help me get out, you have to put out fire so I can get this person and escape. And you really have to have that flow of of cooperation for it to work. And sometimes you and your you know, your ego have to take a back seat. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. Or the one. So uh, I'm thinking about this in relation to recreational therapy, which is, is a legitimate field of psychology that, that people study. Um, you know, they do recreational therapy with kids that's, it's all usually outdoors stuff. It's like ropes courses and, and climbing walls and, um, different things that co require cooperative reaction with one another. And I'm thinking the board game just represents a smaller internalized version of what rec therapy offers. If we look at it from that perspective, the other thing I was thinking about is the fact that, um, and I'm not going to go too deep into this, but Kohlberg's stages of moral development suggests that when children are exposed to a particular moral dilemma, they, they, they pretty much have to be exposed to that particular moral dilemma in order to graduate in the, in t to progress in their stages of moral development because they hadn't realized that this truth exists yet. So they're, they're pondering and working through a set of cognitive, cognitive gymnastics, basically, to get to the point where they understand, oh, it's not about me. And that's, I think, what you were working on with those yeah. kids is to help them develop by looking at the situation and saying, okay, yes, I made a lot of selfish decisions. It caused the game to fail. Eventually, if I keep failing, I'm going to get it that I, that this is not the way. And I'm going to make that next right. step in that moral development echelon. So I think, I think Rob, you can do that with any game that you experience. You just have to put your mind into it. But I think cooperative games are going to be an incredible choice and there are a whole host of cooperative games that may work with these kids that you're working with. So I, I hope that helps, and um, I'd love to hear whatever you do with them because I'm really excited about the work that you're doing and excited that we could be a source of motivation. That's what we want. <laughs> That's kind of where we were headed for this. Build a community. Help the community. Strengthen community. Empower community. All that stuff. And play games. And play games. Because... <laughs> The fun that we do has a positive impact that has nothing to do with the fun that we do. Yes. Okay, folks, that's all we have for this time. I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Brian, for being here. Thank you, Josue, for... We miss you, Josue. Uh, if you'd like to write us, you can write us at gamers at rollingforchange.com. 
Our Twitter handle is at Roll4Change. We couldn't get the whole rolling in, so it's just R-O-L-L-F-O-R-C-H-A-N-G-E. And uh, you can also find us on the Geek Therapy group on Facebook. And we have a guild on yes. Board Game Geek. We have a guild on Board Game Geek. We are working to complete it. We are trying to get all of the data and information, but we do have all the data and information from the last show, so you can go there and check out the stuff that we talked about. And we'll put it up for this show, and, and we'll get it up for the old shows, I promise you. So you can go back and look at what the different games are we've talked about and what you can use in your practice, whatever it is, or what you can use for yourself. Yeah, if you go to Board Game Geek and look for podcasts, our, ours is listed under Rolling for Change. There you go. Once again, thanks so much for listening. I'm Woody Harris. I'm Brian Peace. And keep on rolling for change. You've been listening to episode 11 of Rolling for Change, a conversation about self-care and gaming. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you enjoy this show, you may like other Geek Therapy productions, such as Psych Tech, Geeks and Family Therapy, and the Jedi Council. If you'd like to contact us, we can be reached at gamers at rollingforchange.com. Our theme music is provided by Rocket Scientists. You can find them at thetank.com. Thanks so much for listening, and remember to keep on rolling for change. 